Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 8 of the podcast. Thank you for coming back. I'm your host, Ali, and I invite you all to sit and psych for a while. As always, if there's any questions or topics you would like me to address on the podcast, please reach out to me via email or on any of the social media platforms. Also, make sure you're subscribed, that way you don't miss any new episodes or information regarding future episodes. In the last episode, we talked about intellectual disabilities and learning disorders. I had initially wanted to talk about both autism spectrum disorder and ADHD in this episode, but for the sake of keeping the episode durations to a reasonable length, we will only talk about autism spectrum disorder in this episode, and ADHD will be in a future episode. So without further ado, please have a seat and I hope you enjoy the show. I want to start the episode by talking about the differences between the autism spectrum disorder diagnosis in the fourth diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders, the DSM, in 1994, and the DSM-5 that was released in 2013. So in the DSM-4, there were four separate disorders, autistic disorder, which is the typical form of autism, and Asperger syndrome, where the individual would struggle with the communication and behavioral aspects of autism, but did not struggle with any intellectual or cognitive impairments. And then there was the childhood disintegrative disorder, which was the onset of autism between ages 2 and 10. And then there was the pervasive development disorder, which meant that individual was meeting some but not all criteria of the disorder to be diagnosed with autism. Symptoms were divided into three areas, social reciprocity, communicative intent, and restricted and repetitive behaviors. In 2013, the DSM-5 was released and the autism spectrum disorder was created. Symptoms were now divided in two categories instead of three, social communication interaction and restricted and repetitive behavior. The disorder was now on a continuum or a spectrum where the severity of the disorder was measured by the amount of support needed within those two psychopathological domains. And those domains would be measured separately. And the individual would be in one of three levels of severity. Level one being requiring support, level two requiring substantial support, and level three requiring very substantial support. And severity can vary and fluctuate over time given the context in which the symptoms appear. Autism Spectrum Disorder, ASD for short, typically onsets and is recognizable by the age of two. But it can be later if the symptoms are more subtle and it can be earlier if symptoms are more severe. So looking further into the symptoms, in terms of the social communication and interaction, we would see persistent deficits over multiple contexts. So social emotional reciprocity, you would see things like abnormal social approaches, inability to have a back and forth conversation, maybe reduced sharing of interests or emotions, and not responding to or starting social interactions. 
In terms of the nonverbal communication, we would see things like the inability to combine both verbal and nonverbal communication into conversation, or abnormalities in eye contact or body language, not understanding the use of gestures, or an absence of facial expression and nonverbal communication altogether. In terms of developing or maintaining uh, and understanding relationships, we would see difficulties adjusting to different social contexts, difficulties with imaginary play or making friends, and an absence and an interest in other peers. In terms of the other domain that is measured, the restricted repetitive pattern of behavior or interests or activities, we would see at least two of the following in terms of the repetitive motor movements or use of objects or speech, maybe they're lining up their toys in a specific way, they're repeating or mirroring words or phrases, there's an inflexibility to change routines or ritualized patterns of verbal or non-verbal behavior. So things must remain the same. Even the smallest of changes can cause extreme distress. Transitions and changes to routine or ways of thinking or procedures for performing a certain task of the same behavior can be very difficult and can result in extreme distress. There's also a noticeable restricted or fixated interest that is abnormally intense. They are fixated on a very specific interest. We can also observe an over or under activity to sensory input or uh, unusual interest in sensory aspects of the environment. So it could be either temperature changes, specific sounds, specific textures, smelling or touching different objects. There's a visual fascination with light or movement. When looking at both the social communication and the behavioral aspects of ASD, these symptoms will typically result in a clinically significant impairment in their social, occupational, or other areas of their current functioning. And although symptoms may not be recognizable or exist until the social demands exceed their individual's capacity, the symptoms must be present during their early developmental period. Now, looking at the different levels of severity in the social aspect of the disorder, at a level one, there's a noticeable impairment. Maybe they're having troubles with social interactions, starting conversations, or responding to them. There's a decreased interest in interacting with others. They can speak in full sentences, but cannot maintain a back and forth conversation. And there's just an overall difficulty with making friends. At a level two, there's a marked impairment. Verbal and nonverbal communication deficits exist and result in limited or abnormal responses to social interactions with others. At a level 3, there's a severe impairment. Verbal and nonverbal communication result in high impairment in functioning. Responses to social interactions are very minimal. Responding to social interactions is very little, as well as limited to mostly necessary interactions. Looking at the behavioral aspect of the disorder, at a level one severity, we can observe an inflexibility which can result in significant interference with one or more contexts. So difficulties with transitioning, organizational and planning problems. At a level two severity, there's a difficulty in coping with change. Repetitive and restricted behaviors are more obviously observed and can get in the way of functioning in several contexts. And there's still a difficulty with transitioning between tasks and focus. At a level 3 severity, there's an extreme difficulty coping with 
Changes and transitions. Repetitive and restrictive behavior significantly impacts the individual's functioning in all spheres of life. For adults that are on the spectrum, if there are no intellectual disabilities or language disabilities, they can learn to suppress the repetitive behaviors when they're in public settings. Their specific interests can actually become opportunities for learning and work. And in terms of diagnosis at an adult age, the individual can still be diagnosed based on symptoms that were present during their early childhood. Some features associated with autism spectrum disorder can include self-injury, such as headbanging or biting of the wrist. Individuals that struggle with ASD are still prone to other mental health issues just like everyone else, such as anxiety, depression, trauma. They can exhibit some motor behaviors such as tiptoe walking. They can exhibit a odd gait or a way of walking. And sometimes they may freeze mid-action. If the individual struggles with intellectual and language impairments, maybe they're slow to talk and there's a lag in language comprehension. In terms of treatment for children on the autism spectrum disorder, early intervention services can be very helpful for children from birth to three years of age, helping them learn important skills such as walking, talking, and interacting with others. Treatment approaches could be behavioral and communication approaches, dietary approaches, medication, and complementary and alternative medicine. One widely accepted and notable treatment approach is called Applied Behavioral Analysis, ABA. ABA treatment focuses on the behavioral and communication aspects of the disorder. Another form of therapy is occupational therapy, which teaches skills that would help the individual live as independent as possible. So they would be learning skills that would be used on a day-to-day -day basis, such as eating, relating to people, interacting with people, and bathing and self-care. Sensory integration therapy helps the individual deal with sensory information or sensory input, so things like sights, sounds, and smells, and this could be especially helpful for individuals or children that are bothered by certain sounds or certain tactile sensory inputs. Another form of therapy is speech therapy, which helps the individual with their communication, so learning nonverbal and verbal communication styles to, to be able to better adapt to different situations and social contexts. In terms of medication, while there really isn't a cure for ASD or a way to treat the main symptoms, there are medications that can help the child or individual with related symptoms. So if it's energy levels or their ability to focus or the anxiety they're experiencing or depression, medications can be a way to help deal with those related symptoms. Play therapy is also another form of treatment that can be utilized. It is typically used with children in a general sense. However, for children on the autism spectrum disorder, it can be especially helpful in allowing them to expand their way of thinking, thinking in different ways, helping them expand their communication or language skills, and allowing them to explore different ways of play and relating to other people. One additional form of therapy that typically does vary per person is the dietary approach. 
and this would focus more on the dietary needs of the child to help improve their functioning. Interventions for children or individuals with autism spectrum disorder would include or be a joint effort by more than just one person. So in addition to the parents, it would also be the teachers or the school, the therapist that they're working with. This would allow for a more encapsulating and all-around care and help for that individual in different social settings. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we come to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for coming back and thank you for listening. I am trying to work on getting these episodes to be a bit shorter and succinct. That way it's easier to listen to these episodes in one sitting. And as always, if there's any topics or questions, please feel free to email me or reach out to me via Facebook or Twitter. And also make sure you subscribe, that way you don't miss any episode releases. Thank you for coming by and I'll see you next time.